0: Good morning, everyone again. Welcome to our Feast of the Word. So, let's pray for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us, giving us a new life. And our life needs guidance from your Word to live in the way that you desire to prove our the reality of the salvation, which is internal and invisible. But we want to prove to you, to the angels, and to the world that we are real through our actions in life including our actions in family in the church and in the world we pray that today's teaching will lead us in that way we pray in Jesus name amen hey okay. today is our last session the seventh one on what do we believe about the bible Okay, it is who should teach the bible and how should it be taught okay. a little review what do we believe about about the bible I think we have no disagreement on what the Bible is. We believe that the Bible in the 66 books of its original manuscripts is the God-inspired, inerrant, and infallible revelation of God for mankind. We agree, right? Okay, no problem with that. And there are certain corollaries kind of derive the truth from there, and explanations. Number one, the Bible has was written by significant persons in the biblical history who experienced God and were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was not written by the collective. It was written by individuals. Okay, It was edited by pious people repeatedly, but it's only in form, not in content. And another corollary is that our Bible, our Old Testament, though our Bible that we have in our hands, no matter which major translation that we accept, okay, they are complete. Okay? Our Old Testament is complete without the Apocrypha. The Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox each saying, well, there are some deuterocanonical books. And uh, they added different numbers from 8 to 60. Okay? But we believe that those are not inspired by the word of God. They were written in the time of silence by God. Okay, The 400 years of silence by God when there's no prophet. If the books are written in that time, they're not from God. God didn't speak in those 400 years. Okay, So um, that's why. We believe that our Old Testament is complete without the Apocrypha, and also our New Testament is complete as in the Greek critical eclectic text, which has done its best to recover the original text as much as possible. Remember, the difference is not big; at most five percent. If you take away the ending of Mark and then the the, the story of a woman caught in adultery, that's only one percent difference. Okay, and then, and and the, no doctrine is involved. Is involved. But some people have made an issue saying that our New Testament uh, in the modern translations are incomplete. Only the one in King James Version or New King King James Version are complete. Because they are based on the Textus Receptus, uh, which is based on seven late manuscripts, a critical text based on seven late manuscripts. Or the um, majority, or Byzantine text, which is based on most of the late texts. That's most of our Greek copies. We have about five thousand, nearly three thousand, are late texts. Their majority. Okay. However, the majority are late. The earlier ones are few, but we believe the earlier the texts are from the original, the closer it is. Okay. And the later ones have additions. These additions are not theologically wrong, per se, but they're not inspired anyway. Right? So, that's why I believe two people who read the King James and New King James, no problem. It's a good translation. But people who say King James only are idolizing. They're making one visible Bible as the ultimate truth, and then denouncing anybody else as in error, if not condemned, that is not revealing either scholarship or Christian character. Okay, I believe it's a cultic spirit. Okay? It may be harsh, but I believe if you deal with them, you will know. They're gonna make you feel the thorns. Okay. True Christians don't show their thorns or claws. Okay. You show the gentleness, humility. Okay. Anyway, that is one issue we have to make. Okay, and uh, we also studied last time, uh, last week, on um, the Bible must be read literally and contextually. Basically, the two things. Literally means based on the words. Contextual means seeing the background, considering the background. We read literally in order to read out from what, the, what God meant to teach, not what we wanted to teach. We read out, we don't read into. We do exegesis, not eisegesis. Okay? And then all meanings are based on the words. But words can carry different meanings in different contexts. Right. So that's why we must read in context. And the context includes number one, the pretext and the prose text, number two, the literary style genre, okay? And number three, the historical and cultural background, and number four, the theological consistency. If you considered all of them, the meaning you drew out of the Bible is what God meant to teach you. Okay? And the, the steps of systematic Bible study, there are several. Ways of Bible study, but the systematic Bible study are composed. It is composed of three steps. Number one, you read what the Bible says. Okay, you don't read into it what it didn't say. Okay, and then you read. You try to comprehend what the Bible means. Okay, what is meaning? Okay, and then number three, what does it? How does it apply to me? Make it uh, applied and received and obeyed, okay? Otherwise, your reading is just head knowledge, it's not heart in the heart, it's not in the life, and it's not changing you to Christ's image, okay? In other words, you will be inconsistent, okay? And what does what do we believe in the teaching of the Bible? So these are statements in our church's kind of extended statement of faith, okay? Number one, the primary means of instruction in the principle of the Word of God is expository preaching and teaching, as exemplified by Ezra. You know, we can do expository teaching uh, most of the time. And sometimes I do topical teaching, as I'm doing now. Okay? Sometimes I can do that. But we say the primary way of teaching the Bible in this church is expository. That means we go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Okay? That's the right way to teach the whole counsel of God. Ezra uh, in Nehemiah 8.8 8 did this. So they re- read the book of the law of the Lord distinctly and gave the sense and cause them to understand the reading. So not only they read out aloud, reading the Bible is like preaching, announcing. But not only reading the words, they also gave the sense, which means gave explanation in the way uh, of the understanding by uh, in the audience. Okay, so... Um, To the Americans that speak English to Chinese, speak Chinese, okay? To the educated, I use big words. To the, well, common people, I use common words, okay? That's the way to give the sense. There is a meaning that can only be captured by people in their way of understanding. That's why we have children's class. At the same time, we have adults, sermon, because we have different level of understanding, Okay? You give the sense in the ability of the audience and the reader and then cause them to understand. And what about after understanding, you call them for obedience. Okay? And, of course, you exemplify by yourself. Okay? And then the mentioned expository preaching and teaching, these are two ways uh, or two sides of one act. Preaching is about announcing the gospel. Paul said in Romans 16.25, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. So what is preaching? Preaching Jesus Christ. Announcing the gospel. Let people know. So preaching is just announcement. Just tell As it is. But teaching is about explaining in meaning and calling for application. In 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul said to Timothy, Now you followed my teaching conduct, purpose, faith, patience, and perseverance. So right after teaching, he said, you followed my conduct. In other words, Paul lived to model Christ. And he called his disciples to live, modeling him. If Paul did not live after Christ, he had no right of calling others to live after him. Right? But he did. So that's why he said, you have followed my teaching and conduct, and you have done right. Okay? And the church uh, in, is responsible to accurately teach the whole counsel of God to the people of God. That's another statement in our statement of faith. Um, the emphasis is on the whole counsel of God, not not part of it. Okay? In Acts 20, 27, it says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. This is where the whole counsel of God came from. That was King's English, okay? but it's the whole purpose of God. And uh, other place in other places of the Bible, 2 Timothy 1.13, it says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And in 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to pre- present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed according to to, uh, accurately handling the word of truth. And then, uh, last but not least, Titus 2.1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So what are sound doctrine or the word of truth? They are doctrines or theology based on the whole Bible, not a chosen part or bits of the Bible. Okay, you can use a part of the Bible as as bouncing uh, boards for uh, to any doctrine. Okay, uh, even to atheism. As we have said, that the Bible does say did say there is no God. But if you read in context, that is the thought of the wicked and the fool. Right. So if you read Bible out of context, you you use it as a bouncing board to error. <laughs> and to to, to to foolishness. So uh, that's why some doctrines and the word of truth must be summaries of the teaching of God, harmonized and then expressed in the words that you can understand. That's called doctrines. And they are based on the whole Bible, not part of the Bible. Okay. And also, we believe in this about the teaching of the Bible. The pastors and the elders must be sound in doctrine and able to teach and defend the faith. Because of this, the elder board is the highest governing body of a local church. Now he's talking about the elder board that used this biblical standard of choosing elders, that they are sound in the doctrine and able to teach and defend the truth. Okay? and they're also consistent in applying the truth of themselves okay if a church have used this standard in choosing the their elders then the elder board is qualified as the highest authority in the church okay in in this local church some churches have high hierarchies you know denominations some churches don't ours doesn't okay so our church council now and the pastor elder Is the highest authority in the church. Well, because we have tried to obey this rule from the Bible in selecting our leaders. We do not make people our leader if he is the richest man. Immediately, what makes him the leader? Well, a richest man can be the most spiritual and sound person, but he may not be. Okay? So, you must use the biblical standard in choosing your leader. And if you do so, then your church is in the right form. Okay? And uh, here is uh, Titus 1, 7 through 9, talking about choosing the overseers. In the early church, the terms overseers, which later was translated as bishop, and uh, th- and the word pastor, shepherd, and the word elders, they were three elements or aspects of one kind of people. Okay. They were used as synonyms, and uh, later, as the church developed to be more, you know, to be bigger and more complex, and it, they, they, these terms were used for different levels of leadership. Okay, but in the beginning, they are level. Okay, and uh, uh, here it's talking about for the overseers must be above reproach as God stored, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not Pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, uh, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So this is the standard of choosing elders and above, pastors and um, bishops, if there are, <clears throat> that they are, first of all, above reproach. In other words, at least from the visible outside, they're not doing things that is contradictory to the uh, Christian ethics. Okay, They are consistent, in other words. Okay? And then they also, not only living it, which is required for the deacons, too, but they also will be able to to verbally teach it positively to believers and negatively to refute the unbelievers and attackers. So this is the standard for choosing the elders. And in other words, the teachers of the Bible and the leaders of the church must be learned and consistent, not only in knowledge, but also in conduct. Okay? not seeking for perfection, but at least they're not in open disobedience. All right? That's the standard for choosing church leaders. And since teaching a doctrine hold, uh, since the teachers of doctrines hold spiritual authority over the learners and the Bible uh, teaches that women should not hold spiritual authority over men. In ABC, Abedin Bible Church, women do not teach classes where adult Males that's males beyond the high school age are present. Now this is the controversial part that I mentioned. Okay, it's not politically correct, but this is what the Bible teaches. In First Timothy two twelve it says, "But I do not allow a woman to follow, uh, uh, to teach, or exercise authority over a man." There are many spiritual women. Who are great Bible teachers? That is a fact. We recognize that. But the role God caused them to fulfill was to teach children, youth, and other women, not adult men. Okay? And why does this matter? Well, it does. Okay. Why do we make women not teaching men an issue? Well, according to biblical instructions, women should not teach adult men since that will be holding authority over men. Women who are learned and uh, um, consistent can teach children, youth, and other women. But is that a discrimination in this day and world? And why is that issue important at all? These are natural questions that we have to deal with. Our answer is that it is not a discrimination, and it is important because it is about consistency. Okay, the teachers of the Bible must be obedient to the teachings of the whole Bible; otherwise, they are hypocrites, right? Saying one thing, do another—that's a hypocrite, hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Okay. Consistency is at least outwardly not known murderers, adulterers, and thieves, and inwardly as much as possible. Because we never know how much inwardly a person is obedient. At least required outwardly the person is a known sinner or in disobedience. Alright? Um, there have been people who come into the church and see a person who are passing out the, the, um, the, the elements in communion as a well, a person who who's financially bad, you know, taking other people's assets. then the person who came in went out the church. I know this is actually happening in the church. And why? Well, because I think it's without the knowledge of the church leadership, the person who just committed these sins known to that person who came in, was in a sense of a leadership. You know, passing out communion is kind of a priestly helper, kind of a Levitic uh, duty. And, uh, you know, the Bible already said if you have committed sin and you did not confess it, you should not even take the communion. Not to say giving the communion, right? So, so this person was not qualified to be there because he was a known sinner. Okay? And uh, um, what is consistency? Consistency is wholesome agreement with God in life. Okay, Not picking bits and parts. Okay, I like this about you, God, and I don't like this about you, God. You have no right to choose. <laughs> okay, so there is a e- e- uh, tension and the need of balance between equality and hierarchy. Okay? And this issue can be traced all the way to the foundation of all existence, to God. God is a trinity. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons, each having his own mind, heart, and the will. The mind is for reasoning, the heart is for emotion, and the will is for volitional decision. Each person has his own mind, heart, and will. That means three persons. However, the three persons are united as one and never separate. Even in the time when Christ was, well, his body died and was buried, his soul went to Hades, which is the dwelling place for dead people. Okay, And it's kind of like the first level of hell. Hades, um, the bottomless pit or the... Um, Abyss and then the lake of fire. That's the three levels of hell. Okay, there are three levels of heaven: the atmosphere, the space, and what we call heaven. Okay. So three levels heaven, three levels hell, three paradises, one in Eden, one in the good section of Hades, and one for the future New Jerusalem. Okay, so um <clears throat> even during those so-called three days and three nights, actually about 36 hours. They cover part of three, day and night. And not in Jewish thinking is three days and three nights. Okay? Even during those times, Christ's soul was in, uh, let's say, paradise too. Okay? But it, at that time, what he lost with the Father is fellowship. Because he carried the sins of mankind. And God the Father turned his face not looking at him. In other words, there is no fellowship. But there is no loss of relationship. They are still father and son. Okay, So there is no separation in the relationship. There is a partial separation, well, loss of fellowship. Okay? And also, the Holy Spirit was never separated with Christ. For it is by the Spirit that he went from the... Paradise, too, to the other side is called prison, to proclaim his victory. Okay. And uh, therefore, God is one God, not three gods. Why? Because the three persons never separate. They are united in nature uh, and uh, in, uh, in relationship and in fellowship most of the time, okay. except those three days and three nights for Christ between Christ and the Father. So that's why there's only one God, but in three persons. Not three gods, not one person. To the beings outside of God, okay, that means all creatures. The will of God is the Father's will. He chooses the bride for the Son. The mind of God is the Son's mind, because all creation is for Him. That is why He is called the Logos, the, uh, which is related to logic, which is the ultimate reason. The heart of God is the heart of the Holy Spirit, which is tender for life, loving for for, uh, holiness, grieved by sin, and can be quenched by stubborn disobedience. Sensitive. okay, Um, The Holy Spirit. So, this is a chart about the personhood of the Trinity. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit of God. But the Father is not the Son, the Son of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father and each person has his own mind, heart, and will, being an individual person. But the three persons never separate, thus one God. Equality and hierarchy are in tension uh, um, because in a sense that the three persons of the one God are equal in position, but they're also different in roles. The difference in roles gave a hierarchy. What equality put in position, say, saying that they are one in nature, but the difference in role saying there is a sequence of uh, obedience or submission involved. So, what is equality in position? Well, talking about the three persons of God, they are all eternal. Thus, the term Yahweh applies to all. Yahweh means the eternal one, or I am, the one who is, was, and always will be. And they are all holy. There's no sin, darkness, or evil. And uh, they are all creators, co-creators of all creation. Therefore, they are all deserving to be worshipped by all creatures. In that sense, the three persons are equal in position, but different in roles. The Father elects, the Son redeems, the Holy Spirit sanctifies. The father elects by choosing the son's bride before the foundation work, that is the church. And then the son redeems by sacrificing um, for his bride as a token of love. And we who believe in him have accepted his love and are united with him and covered by him. And the the Holy Spirit, he sanctifies through calling, regeneration, sanctification, inspiration, and illumination. Inspiration is about the Bible's writing. Illumination is about uh, understanding the Bible. So the Holy Spirit does all the rest. But the key part of election was by the Father and redemption by the Son. And all the rest is by the Holy Spirit. So the role of the father is like a human father in the family as the head, leader, provider, ruler, and giver. The uh, role of the son is like the firstborn son in human family. As the one who obeys the father, receives the appointed bride by the father, demonstrates love by sacrifice for the bride, and will inherit and manage the father's estate together with his bride. Okay. The role of the Holy Spirit is like the wife and mother in the human family. Okay. This is maybe new to some of you, but it is the biblical teaching, implied at least. Uh, the spirit is neutral. The word spirit is neutral in gender. It's, the pronoun is masculine, he. However, the role is feminine. The Holy Spirit is all for glorifying the Father and elevating the Son, while while preferring to stay behind the scenes, as most wife and mother does. And uh, the Son of the Old Testament appeared many times as the angel of the Lord or the angel of God, because he was sent out as a servant of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit appeared in the Old Testament as the wisdom of God. And the eternal wisdom is feminine in gender. Let's read um, Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call, and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Besides the gates... Uh, uh, of the opening of the city, all the entrance of the doors, she cries out, To you, O man, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. So, wisdom reveals to mankind not only through holy ways, through the Bible and through the prophets, but also in civil ways, as on the street corner. So, you can be wise by learning from life, as well as learning from the Bible. There are many non-believers who are wise, relatively speaking, because they learn from life, okay? And there are some believers who are not wise because they don't do so. Okay, So wisdom reveals through many ways. And the, uh, wisdom claims that, that from my mouth will utter truth and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterance of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are All straightforward to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my uh, instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choices food, gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell in prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine, and song wisdom. I am understanding, power is mine. And in further context, the wisdom also declares, as I, wisdom, am in the beginning, at the time of creation. So, in the beginning was God, the Father, the Spirit of God, who is also the wisdom, and the Word of God, who is also the Son. Okay? So, Trinity is the only eternal being. Okay? And uh, there's nothing eternal beyond the Triune God. And uh, uh, the exemplary person of wisdom is the woman of excellence in Proverb 31. Okay? And let's read how what she does. An excellent wife who can find, for her, uh, for her worth is far above jewels the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain she does him good and not evil all the days of her life she looks forward and uh no she she looks for wood wool and flax and works with her hands in delight she is like merchant mer- merchant ships she brings her food from afar She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a shield and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gains is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distance, and her hands grasp the spindle. She ex- extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is the linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When, where, when he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness, her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And, her praises, uh, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates." You see, the woman of excellence does everything for the honor of the father and the benefit of the children. She holds all the power within the household, but within the boundary of the will and the provision of the father. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in the household of God. Okay? The Holy Spirit holds all the power and he does everything for the honor of the father, and the benefit of the Son. And that includes for his bride, for us. Okay? So here are two uh, traditional Trinitarian diagrams for the Old Testament period and for the New Testament period. In the Old Testament, the sequence is Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And the New Testament is Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the transition is before and after the Resurrection of Christ. And actually I think the ascension and the session after the seating of the son at the right hand of the father and he became the co-king of heaven, then the role changed from father spirit son to father son spirit. Okay. In the Old Testament the sequence of the Trinity was always the Father, the Holy Spirit and the Son, who is the word. For example, in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God, that means the Father, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit, was moving over the surface of the waters. The word moving over is also translated as hovering, and it's the posture of a hand sitting over the eggs. In other words, the Holy Spirit was preparing and um, uh, getting ready for the creation of life okay so that's where the motherhood nature is there okay the Holy Spirit loves in creating life new lives okay our physical life is already a kind of a basic level um, presence of the Holy Spirit because God said right before the flood, my spirit shall not strive with them for over 120 years. And guess what happened after the flood? The ideal age of mankind was 1,000. After the flood, it drops exponentially to 120. And Moses lived 120. Okay. And then after that, you can only see lower. And without modern medicine, we will be averaging about 50. With the medicines, now we return to the level of Moses' time. He said in Psalm 90, you know, our days are for 70 years, and if strong, 80 years. Right now, okay, 70 80 years is kind of the average, right? And if you happen to have good genes, good health, wise living, you can go to 90, 100, you know. But I don't think you expect to pass 120, okay? So, Holy Spirit is for life. Physical life is already a basic level of the present Holy Spirit. And a spiritual life is being born again by the Holy Spirit who recreates your dead formerly dead spirit and lives within. And now your spirit does not sin. That's why the Holy Spirit can live in there. But your soul and your body still may sin and is ready to be sanctified during the time of sanctification on earth and finally glorification and the resurrection. Okay. So in the conception of Christ, it is also by the will of the Father and the means of the Holy Spirit, who was the channel. Christ uh, was formerly the Son of God. He submits himself to the will of the Father and to the power of the Spirit, and then he was conceived in the womb of Mary, thus born as Jesus Christ. It's still Father, Spirit, Son in that sequence. Even in the baptism of the the Son, it is by the word of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, you shall obey him. And then the means of the Holy Spirit. He descended as the dove, which means power for peace. Okay. And only after the resurrection of the Son, the sequence changed to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 21-22, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I don't believe they have received the Holy Spirit until the, the day of Pentecost. So this breathing would be a prophecy. The realization is a few days later as the Pentecost. And uh, the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son on the day of Pentecost. Okay, It was sent by the Father as evidenced in John 14:26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He was sent by the Son, as evidenced in John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Why was the Holy Spirit sent by the Father and the Son? Well, when was the Pentecost? 49th day. 49 days after, or the 50th day, from the first fruits. Well, is that right? Yeah, it's the day of the resurrection. It's the first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, right? From then on you carry on seven weeks. So it's the feast of weeks or Pentecost. On that day, also a Sunday, the church was born. That's why we worship on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> One of the reasons. Jesus Christ resurrected on Sunday, church was born on Sunday. God created heaven and earth on Sunday. Okay. And God revealed the ending to John on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day. So the uh at, at the uh, the, the Pentecost was 49th day after the resurrection. When was the day of ascension? 40 days. Right? So Jesus was resurrected 40 days later. later he, resur- he ascended to heaven. And sometime in between, he sat down, seated on the right hand of God the Father, receiving all authorities under heaven and on earth. Thus, he became the co-regent of heaven. There are two kings in heaven, a senior king, the father, and a junior king, the son. And everything that proceeds from heaven is sealed by two seals, the father and the son. So who sent the Holy Spirit? The Father and the Son. So in that sense, the Catholics are right in modifying the uh, Nicene Creed. What well, the problem with with the way they did it is that they did not go through a council. That's why the, the Eastern Orthodox are separate with them. It's really about the power issue. Yeah. Okay, now here is a chart on the authority structure of the household of God. God is composed of three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God is the, the master of the household. The household is composed of the things, which is the universe. It's impersonal. And two beings that have free will and personal. And the humans are children who will become sons if they are among the elect and they unite with the eternal son. And the angels are servants. The Servants are lower than the uh, sons, but higher than the children. And the, when the head servant, Lucifer said it was unfair, and he rebelled. He took one-third angels uh, to be fallen, and two-thirds remain holy. This is the biblical structure of the power structure, okay? And the authority, position, power, etc., in the household of God. Now, you can see the potential of tensions, In the household of God, there is a tension between the equality on the authority and power of the humans, which are children, who some of them may become heirs, versus the angels who are servants forever. Look at Hebrews 1, 13-14. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? God only said that to Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, okay? He was God. He became a human. And then uh, he is the only God man, the sinless man. And uh, he is the one who defeated evil and death. He's the victor. Uh, and uh, he will be the ruler. So, God never said that to angels. Even though Jesus Christ came in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord or angel of God, he's not a regular angel. Okay, To no other angels, created angels, God said that. And in verse 14, are they not Ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So, angels are servants, in other words, slaves of God, and their duty is to serve the elect among mankind who will become fellow heirs with the eternal Son. Okay, and uh, the children are lower in authority and power than the servants. But once they become the heir by uniting with the eternal son, they have immediately higher authority and ultimately more power than the servants. The first head servant was Lucifer, as told to us in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, all from verse 12. That He felt unfair about God's plan for the humans and decided to prove that they are unworthy by luring them to rebel against the Father. He was successful. Mankind turned into sinners, Lucifer turned into Satan, and one-third angels who followed him turned into demons. The two-thirds of holy angels will learn to be content from the Christian women who respect God's order in creation. First men, then women. Then uh, headship in the house, that means in the church and the family. Their acceptance of the role assigned by God is the object lesson for the holy angels. So, Christian women who cover their head spiritually in their hearts, not necessarily physically, are teachers for the angels. That's their assigned role. So here's a chart about the divine and human headship in three layers. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:3, 3, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So in Trinity, God and Christ, the Father and the Son, are equal in position and the same in nature. But there is a sequence and there is a submission of order. In that sense, God is the head of Christ. Christ came into the world in obedience to the plan of God. He received the bride chosen by God the Father. Okay? And uh, uh, in church, Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. Therefore, we are in the relationship of husband and wife, even though for the male believers in the church, we are to assume the role of a female in the household to the male in the household, okay, in relationship to Christ. And in the family, woman receives the husband as the head. Not all males in the world, no, only the husband as the head of the household. Okay, Girlfriend do not receive boyfriend as the head. You're not married, it's not committed, you have no obligation to submit to him, okay. But if you're married, then you do. <laughs> but because he is obligated to love you with his life, okay, and that's a mutual relationship. So, this is three layers of headship. If uh, uh, and the equality in position, difference in roles is natural in Trinity and family, but it is by grace in the church because. We humans are not the same in position naturally with Christ, who is God, okay? But it's by God's grace, he became a man. He came down to our level and he sanctified us, paying for our sins and changing our character and then promising to change our body. So in that sense, he lifted up to be on equal position with him. That's by grace, it's not by nature. The other two is by nature. Okay. should women cover their head? Well here is 1 Corinthians 11:4 to10 you read it and see if it was ordered. every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head this is Christ but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman who, uh, whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also cover her hair. Uh, uh, have her hair cut off. But if it is graceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Okay, To be the teacher of the angels. Woman's head covering is a sign of respecting the authority of men over them before God, i.e., that is, respecting the order of creation. What God did in the six days of creation, creating man first and woman from a rib of man, that was meant as an object lesson. So that from then on in the family, the man should love the woman as loving his own body, and the woman should respect the man as respecting the Lord. That creates harmonious families. Okay? And if you want to disagree with that, well, try it and see what (laughs) it creates. (laughs) It's not going to be happy. Okay? Yeah. Um, Woman, uh, so. They do this, it's because God taught them it is wise to do so. And in the New Testament, Paul gave an order to Christian women to do so. And men should not cover their head because their head is Christ. So there is no relationship between men and Christ. Believing men, they are united. You don't put a cover as a block. okay? And for women, they recognize they do have a head over them that's their man okay so they covered their head physically in the first century spiritually now okay it was important in the first century corinth to show not as the temple prostitutes who had no man over them okay and so physical covering it was important then but now it's spiritual covering men that's male believers should not cover their head in the church worship because that means a block between them and their head christ Spiritual covering of head for women, that's female believers, in the church worship is eternally important, while the physical covering is not. This is illustrated by the general culture of men's short hair and women's long hair. First uh, Corinthians 11, 14-15 says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dis- dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given to, uh, to her for a covering.. Okay. So uh, you know to have a covering a covering is actually a blessing. Today every believer is covered by Christ. He has carried our burden. And we should unload it to him and don't live with worries. Isn't that a blessing, right? So for women who have a husband, she is under the covering of the husband, okay? She she gives her suggestion, the husband makes decision, and if it's wrong, the husband carries the blame and the responsibility. And if he's right, of course, everybody gets blessed, right? So, is not actually a blessing, right? If there's rain, you have an umbrella that's your covering. Okay? Do you want to show your bravery and throw away the covering? That would be unwise, right? So, um, the so if in that in nature, almost every culture says a man should not have long hair and woman should have long hair. I mean, if you can, I know when you're old, probably not a lot of hair left. But that's. Uh, Generally speaking, it's a culture. If even non-believers know that, why shouldn't believers know better? Right? This is the idea. So, should a woman teach in the church to the public? Number one, generally, they should not teach to adult men. Okay? The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted, permitted to speak, but as subject themselves, just as law also says. They... Uh, desire to, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized and continuing in first Corinthians 11, 6, but if one is inclined to be contentious we have no other practice nor have the churches of God okay so can women prophesy and speak in the church well only if they had head covering okay uh, today means respecting the order okay and the uh, Otherwise they're not okay And why is that important because there's an order it's a commandment from the Lord and uh, um, here is uh, another passage from 1 Timothy 2:11 um, to um, 14. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submiss- submissiveness but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctify with self-restraint. So historically, it was true that uh, Eve was first deceived and Adam later. Okay. Uh, and generally speaking, I, I think that women are easier to be moved by the love of Christ, so they are easier to become Christians than men. While men are stubborn and usually demand some proof, but the women's believing women's change of character from contentious to the husband to submissiveness to the husband usually is the turning point for the man to believe that God is real and become true believers. This happened to thousands of men in the houses of, of China, when where I taught the pastoral training my my wife taught the women's ministry, Titus woman, She probably changed the life of more people than I did, okay. because of this simple truth. Okay. Women's spirituality is demonstrated in accepting their assigned roles, in accepting in order to be the teachers to the angels. Therefore, the women ought to have a symbol of authority on their head because of the angels. So, if I can extend that chart of the headship, I should make a fourth, la- fourth layer. God is the head of Christ, Christ the head of men, Man is the head of women, but the woman is the head of the angels, holy angels who are servants. Think about it. What an awesome role for you, Christian women, God has assigned as teachers for the holy angels to become content with God's assigned role for the eternity to come. Would you be satisfied with such a role? Or do you want something better? To be the head of a man? To create contention in the house, in the church? Your choice. Should a woman teaching the church continue? If a woman is covering her head in the spirit and heart, that means respecting God's order of creation and does not challenge the order of authority in the church set up by God, then by the assigned authority uh, by the elders, she can teach or prophesy according to her gift. Yes, a woman can teach in the church if she is assigned the authority by the elders who are men. Okay? And uh, the churches that defy this order, ordaining female elders, pastors, bishops, are openly disobeying God. The female uh, female teacher is selective on what part of the Bible is to be obeyed, even the part openly declared to be eternal and universal. They are hypocrites and creating more hypocrites. I'm sorry. But That is the reality, okay. But should the church have deaconess in answering to a request? Okay, I'll deal with this. Deaconess in the New Testament are the wives of deacons who serve together with their husbands. Read 1 Timothy 3 8 to 12. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity and not double tongued or addicted to much wine, fond of. A sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be first tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithfulness in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and the good managers. Of their children and their own households. So you see, the passage is talking about the qualification for deacons, but it mentioned deacons first and later, but in the middle, it mentioned women. The natural understanding is that these women are the wives of the deacons who serve with the deacons, they can be called a deaconess. Okay. It was for the sake of ministry. You know, if a deacon visits the house of a widow, it's better to have his wife with him in order not to create, let's say, suspicions. Okay. So uh, that's what they were in the beginning, the beginning uh, of the church. Deaconess were wives of deacons. And there was a case of Phoebe as a small house church leader. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Cancria. And this is in Romans 16.1. Phoebe was the owner of a house in which there was a house church. The city was small. The church was small. There was no pastor or elder. She was the hostess uh, and the leader. So in that sense, she may be called a deaconess. Okay? And uh, she was also the letter carrier for Paul. Uh, She carried the book of Romans to Rome. Important task. So, yes, I believe the church can have deacons and deaconess. The purpose to serve women, children, and youth. And not teaching adult men. It has nothing to do about the ability. Many women are much more spiritual and better teachers of the Bible than men. But it is not the role for them to carry. Their role is to be the teacher of the angels by their submissiveness to their head. Okay? And if you obey that role, you have eternal consequence. Many angels will thank you. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this, uh, uh, these truths that uh, they are essential. They're declared to be eternal and universal. While many people have... Uh, turned away from the eternal truth to follow the co- current conventions of political correctness and for those people i pray that you deal with them uh, in accountability and we pray that we will um, live as obedient in obedience to all the teachings of the bible and including the controversial ones including the parts that creates Maybe sense of unfairness or jealousy, but we know that those are from the flesh and not from God. We pray that we will overcome sin and be sanctified and become uh, the ones that fulfill your will. And for the Christian women, the sisters in our congregation, we pray that they will have no problem accepting their roles assigned by you and become exemplary and shining for eternity in their good deeds in submission. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. In a few minutes, we'll be leaving this building. When we do, may the Lord continue to be with each of us. Let's sing together. God be with you till we meet again. My counsels guide uphold you with his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Receive the blessings of the Lord. In the love of God Mercy of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, with us forever. Cover us from the wrath of God and deliver us from sins and temptations and lead us on the way of righteousness and the way to perfection as Christ has redeemed us, as the Father has
1: guided us
0: and the Holy Spirit is leading us. In Jesus' name. Confirm very, amen.